can do. But you want to try one more time? How many of you are ready to hear the word? Well, thank you. Thank you. I'm getting a little bit of a late start, and I might as well tell you ahead of time I won't be ready to finish by 12. But I won't keep you to one. Anybody who knows that you're going to have to leave at 12 o'clock, you might as well go ahead and leave because it's not going to be over at 12. Now, I make that sound so bad because then you won't be surprised when I finish about five after. Maybe. Hopefully. I began thinking about numbers of things that I've preached on in the past. And uh, I rarely ever listen to myself preach on the recordings. Always on the website, I can go listen to it. And, but I always feel so badly when I finish listening to it, I just don't do it. I'm so corrective of myself, and I could have done that better and said that better. And so I rarely do it, let me put it that way. But I started thinking about a message that I preached on a long time ago. And, and it, just, it just started moving my heart because I was reading the 11th chapter of Hebrews and, the, and following the 11th chapter of Hebrews, is, uh, the, the 12th chapter is really an extension of the 11th chapter of Hebrews. So I went back and listened to that message that I preached on that and out of that I got a lot of things that I'm planning to say this morning. It's not the same message, but it is some things that I said and because I encouraged myself and blessed myself so much with it, I thought this is what I ought to share. So the, you know what the 11th chapter of Hebrews is, don't you? The great faith chapter. It starts off, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by the elders lay the good report. It goes on to say, we, by faith we understand that the worlds were flamed, the whole universe was created out of those things that are not seen and do not appear by the miracle work of God. By faith we understand that. By faith we accept and believe that. And when the great faith chapter goes on, the writer continues to speak about the heroes of faith. He talks about uh, Abraham and Moses and a lot of the faith heroes of the past. In fact, he mentions 17 of the heroes of the faith. There are many more that he does not speak about, and he does not name, but he comes to the end of the chapter and says he can't speak of all of them. And this he says, For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, and Samuel, and all the prophets. The 11th chapter is a long chapter, but not nearly as long as it would have been if the writer had told us about all those other heroes of faith. We know some heroes of faith on our own that we've experienced. Some that we've lived with and enjoyed their presence and their ministry and their teaching who've now gone on to be with the Lord. And this is what the writer of Hebrews says about those people. Chapter 12, starting at verse 1. This is what he says. Therefore, when he says therefore, he's referring to what he said before. In view of the 11th chapter that I've written, and all that I've said about the heroes of faith, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, 
Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the races set before us. Now, this is the message of the 12th chapter referring to the 11th chapter. We have all this cloud of witnesses who are surrounding us and looking at us as we run our race, looking at us which should bring us encouragement and strength and help to pursue the race that God has called us to run. And then at that point, he says, running the race, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of Father God. So this is the phrase that I want to bring to your attention. Jesus, who for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Who for the joy that was set before him. Last week I talked for quite a bit in my message about Gethsemane and what Gethsemane meant and what it meant to the Lord Jesus. How he took upon himself sin and cried out to be delivered from it if it were possible for God to perfect his plan without his sacrifice, but he, knowing it wasn't possible, said, Nevertheless, not my will, your will be done. And now here, this verse says that Jesus endured the cross and despised the shame of it for the joy that was set before him. That joy certainly had to come after the crucifixion, but he apparently knew about it before. He hadn't experienced it, but he knew about it. So he knew that the suffering was going to be there, but he knew that that would be followed by a great joy. And what is that joy? That's what I want to share with you this morning. What that joy is that led Jesus to complete the plan of Father God on the cross of Calvary and then come forth from the dead to substantiate that truth as the great message of God for salvation for the world. The joy that was said before him. First, the joy was in knowing that he with Father God had perfected the plan, had completed the plan, had accomplished the plan that God had set in motion from the foundation of the world when the Bible says that Jesus was the Lamb of God slain from the very foundation of the world. So he set all of that in place and all of that in motion. And in that fulfillment that Jesus enacted by his sacrifice, there was great joy for him, knowing he had completed and accomplished the will of the Father. But it's not only that. I believe that the joy that was set before Jesus that caused him to fulfill that plan of God is those who would come and be a part of that plan. That the Bible speaks of people as providing joy for the Lord. And those people are us, in part at least. We know that there are many multitudes of others. 
throughout the centuries, and even now, currently. But we also know that we are a part of that body, that bride, that congregation of the faithful that has brought joy to the heart of Jesus. And I'll show you how that is true. You and I, the people of God, are his joy. Paul recognized that people brought joy to him. He even spoke about people in his ministry. He wrote this to the Thessalonians. He said to them, For what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing before the Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? You Thessalonians, you people who have come to Christ, you people who have accepted his salvation, you are our joy and our glory. So Paul recognized that people brought joy to the Lord as they brought joy to him, fulfilling the results of his ministry. So Jesus came, he made very clear, to seek out you and me, to seek and find us and bring us to the Father. He came not to minister, but not to be ministered unto, but to minister and provide his life as a ransom for many. So Jesus was a part of that, always a part of that, receiving joy from people coming to him. There's an old song written in, uh, oh, years ago, another century, in 1868 this song was written. It's been sung for years and years, and sung even in recent times. It's called The Ninety and Nine. There were ninety and nine that safely lay in the shelter of the fold, but one was out on the hills away far off from the gates of gold. Away from the father, away from the flock, away from the shepherd. Lost. Lost. And the story of the song says that the shepherd went out to find that one who was not in his flock. He left the ninety and nine and went out to find that one. And it tells how he went across the deserts and across the mountains and across the hard and difficult places. And the last verse of that song says, And all through the mountains, thunder-riven, and up from the rocky steep, there arose a glad cry from the gate of heaven. Rejoice! I have found my sheep. And the angels echoed around the throne. Rejoice! For the Lord brings back his own. There's a rejoicing when the lost sheep of God, the lost ones of his flock, are brought back in, ransomed and redeemed by the blood of Jesus, the Lamb of God, and the flock becomes fulfilled, completed, as those are called and brought into salvation through Jesus. There's rejoicing in that. In fact, the Bible says that the angels rejoice. Moreover, one so lost, really they rejoice more over a lost soul who repents than of any other thing. Luke 15, 7. This is what Jesus said. Just so I tell you that there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety and nine righteous persons who need no repentance. The one sinner that comes back to Jesus. The one sinner brings the greatest joy in heaven. The angels start a chorus of rejoicing. They rally around the throne. They cry out praise and glory to the Lamb of God, who's ransomed another soul, who snatched another soul out of the gates of hell, who's brought another one from the pits of despair, lifted him up, 
redeemed them, saved them, forgiven them, and made them citizens of heaven as of the commonwealth of glory. That's praise for the angels. They rejoice at something they can't do, but Jesus does, and they praise him for it. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Just so another time Jesus said, Luke 15, 10, that was 7, I just, verse 7, now this is verse 10. Just so I tell you, there's joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. One sinner. Please wait. Imagine all of us sinners who have come to Jesus and been redeemed. The joy that we brought into the annals of heaven. Thank God he's brought us to that place that brings joy to the heart of God. So, all of us are a part of that. The joy of Jesus. You have the privilege, the honor, the blessing of providing great joy, great joy to the heart of God, to the, to the, to the very life of Jesus. He endured the cross, despising the shame for the joy that was set before him. He did that for the day that he would see you and me. Find an altar of repentance. Cry out to God for our salvation through his sacrifice. And then, when our names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life, set the heavens, angels, the choruses of glory, rejoicing, sounding that word out across the universe. Another sinner has come home and received Jesus as his Savior and has been prepared to go to heaven. Aren't you glad you're in that place today? So glad you're in that place today. You remember my grandson who came down here for me to baptize him. He's a teenager and hadn't been baptized and decided he wanted to be baptized. He told his mom and dad he wanted to come here so his papa could baptize him, which I did right up here on, on this stage. Baptized my, my one grandson who carries the part of my name that only I have. And, of course, Billy is a junior, so he has it too. I say we were afflicted with it. But <laughs> but when Trent, when Trent was about to be born, and, and, and my daughter, his mother, Kim, went to the doctor for her last examination, he said, the doctor said, well, I hope you're, I know you're going to enjoy a wonderful new birth of your baby boy. And she said, what? He said, I said, I know you're going to enjoy your baby boy. She said, I'm not having a boy, I'm having a girl. That's what all the doctors had told her up to that time. She said, we've got his name picked out. We've got the nursery prepared. It's all pink. We've already got his name picked out. And he said, well, you're going to have to change it or call him by a girl's name. This is a boy. Look at the sonogram. She said, my, it isn't. So Trent was born. They didn't have a name for it. <laughs> so they, they, some, I don't know where they got Trent, uh, his name. <laughs> but she called me and said, Dad, she said, you know, we've got so many Williams in the family already, and I, I, I want to honor you by maybe would you mind if I use your middle name and call him Trent Powell? And I was so overcome with the blessing of it, I didn't even think about anything negative. I told him, I said, oh, I'd be honored. Yes, thank you so much. And so now, it's just a kind of a family thing. You know? So now he's Trent Powell. 
and always have been. But he almost was in the grace. And what we all decided was he would like Trent Powell a lot better than he ever wanted to be called immigrant. So it worked out well all the way around. Now, one day, this is what I wanted to tell you. One day, we were at home, and, and uh, Trent came over. I don't remember what the occasion was, but he came over. And Carolyn has pictures, all of the pictures in, in on the shelves in our house are family pictures. Uh, they're on the walls, there are other things, but little family, some of that too. But she always has pictures of all family members on the shelves in, her house, in our house. And so Trent goes over there, he's looking at all the family pictures, and he sees one, and the frame, I saw it just again just this morning to make sure I remembered it right. At the bottom of the frame it says, Grandma's Joy. And in that frame, Carolyn is sitting there holding one of our grandchildren as an infant. And Trent looked at that picture, and he said, Nanny, who is that? Thinking he knew. And she said, that's Avery, his first cousin, the first daughter of my, my daughter, Lisa. And he looked at the picture in the frame, and he kind of put his head down. He kind of stiffed a little bit. He said, Nanny, I thought I was your joy. And she said, oh, Trent, you are. All, this is just, all of you are my joy. She, and she started naming them, all of them. All of you are my joy, Trent. She said, you're, you're right here in, in, in the middle of it. We've got Joshua and Jessica and Avery and you and Alexa and Aiden. And, of course, that time we didn't have Jackson, but now we've got Jackson. So she said, and all of you are my joy. And he got up there closer, and she pulled him up, and he sat up on her lap, and she held him for a while. And I, I think out of all of that, he got the feeling better. But he wasn't left out, but he was a part of that joy because he's one of them. And what I want to tell you today, my friends, is that there are a lot of others, a lot of others who are the joy of Jesus. They're there by the multitudes, but they do not supersede you. They do not make you an exception or an exemption. It just proves again and again and again. Every time he receives somebody to him, it just proves again and again that he receives people. Christ receives sinners. He accepts us. He forgives us. He saves us. He gets us ready for heaven. And when he does, we are his joy. We are his joy. And there's coming a time when Jesus is going to return in the rapture. Before the second coming and the fulfillment of the end times, Jesus is coming in the rapture, which, John, which Paul explained in Thessalonians when he said, For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first, and those of us who remain and are alive shall be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be. So shall we ever be with the Lord. Because He rejoices in our presence. His joy is to have us a part of Him and receive us to Himself. And what a great thing that is for us to know.
What a wonderful thing it is to know. He wants us. He wants us because we bring joy to his heart. Glory to God. Hallelujah. We should all be rejoicing about that. Hallelujah. And I am, and I know you are too. Praise God. I can't see the clock. It's so small on the screen. I can't read it, but I think I've done a good job finishing on time. Everybody stand with me, please. (laughs) Glory to God. Glory to God. Praise His holy name. Last week, people came to this altar and gave their hearts.